Mark chapter 5 is where we'll be this morning. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20 will be our text. Maybe some of you have read the local or global news as of lately, and it doesn't take long to scroll through the news to find that there's some pretty scary stories, there's some pretty crazy stories, and even stories that almost seem unbelievable. And indeed, the Bible is full of stories, true stories, real events. But I don't know if there's as much of a crazy, astonishing story in such a compact 20 verses. Like, you can can read the Old Testament and New Testament and find some pretty amazing stories. But this one is just, like, unpredictable. And so I don't even need to start with some big-picture narrative because when we read this narrative, we're going to see, like, whoa, this is astonishing. And so today we, we start... Uh, message two and four messages of Mark's narrative. And so this is, this is day two or, or message two of that narrative. And uh, what's gonna, what we're going to find here is this message, this passage is both alarming and amazing. What we're going to find here is Christ has power not only over the dangerous storm, but over demon spirits. And he's going to demonstrate that power, that there's actually no power that overshadows his power. He has the ultimate authority and power, and his deity is going to be on display once again. And so in this narrative, we're going to see the sweeping act of God at the spoken word of Christ. And you're going to see, if you remember from last week to this week, a few different parallels of what Jesus did on the sea and then what he does on the ground level. And so the title of today's message is this, From Despair to Deliverance as we're going to be looking at the deity and authority of Christ on display yet again. Just as he stilled the storm, he's going to still these demons. And you know, after the calming of the storm, maybe these disciples thought, oh, that was, that was bad, that was scary, can't wait to, to get to dry land, and just oh, a sigh of relief, and just, let's just row through the night, get to shore, and then all is good, all is well. I mean, we just left the chaos of the western shore, and now as we arrive to the east, maybe we can just get a little R&R, a little downtime, a little bit of rest and relaxation, a little folding of the hands, a little sleep, a little slumber, as Proverbs talks about, right? Well, not so fast, because rather than a welcoming committee, they're going to meet like their worst nightmare ever. It's not going to be good. And chapter 4 ends with this question from the disciples, who is this Jesus that calms the wind and the waves? And then what we're going to see here is that the spirits are going to answer that question. He is the Son of God, the Son of the Most High God. And so having said all that, let's just look at the text together. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the garrisons. As soon as he got out of the boat, notice he got out of the boat, Jesus, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and 
on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him and cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I beg you before God, don't torture me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name, he asked, that is Jesus. My name is Legion, he answered, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us into the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of pigs, about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank to the sea and drowned there. Then the men who tended them ran off and reported it to the town and the countryside, and the people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, Go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. The reading of the word of God. Some people might ask, can the demonized, those who have demon spirits, be delivered? And the answer, according to the scripture, is a resounding yes. The big idea for this morning is this. If Christ can save the demonic man, then he can bring deliverance to any man. You see, there is no one too far gone from God's grace that he cannot free. There is no stronghold too great that the power of Christ cannot overcome. You see, regardless of the ruin, Christ can rescue and Christ can redeem. It's what he does. It's why he came. And so while Satan in this world, in this realm, may have some power, and he may have some strongholds, his power is nothing compared to the word of Christ. In an instant he speaks, and this man is made free. He did what no one else can do. That's a powerful Jesus. That's a powerful God. And here we see Jesus, the servant king, who liberates the enslaved within this world, wielding absolute authority over all. There's no ground in which he can cover, no person in which he can encounter that cannot come under the control of Christ. And he's making that be known, and it's going to scare some people. You know, we live in a world of misunderstanding. People then misunderstood Jesus, just as people now misunderstand Jesus. And then there's also the misunderstanding about Satan and his rule and his reign and his power. People then misunderstood and people now even misunderstood. I mean, it doesn't take long to turn on your TV 
and scroll through the TV and find shows or find movies that are depicting some sort of satanic evil activity. And within our world, I think there's two ditches that people can fall into of thinking Satan really isn't real or doesn't have any power. He's, he's powerless and can do nothing. People can fall into that ditch. Or there's also the ditch where they give Satan too much credit and too much creed, and then they get involved and saturated with that, and, and they almost open a foothold within their life for Satan to actually have an influence in their life and can actually empower them in a not-so-good way. We don't know this man's background. We don't know this man's story. We don't know how all of the things came about to where he's at. We don't even know how long he's been this way. Has it been a few days, a few weeks, a few months, a few years? We do not know. We don't know when it started, how it started, but we know here is the man in this desperate, dire place. Um, I think it's really important as we consider those ditches to think of it like this. Imagine if we were to go on a safari, a safari to Africa, and there's a tour guide. Maybe he's, he's even... He's got his gun to protect us. And as we go, he, he might say, listen, there can be lions out here. We, we don't want to just act as if there's no zero lions, right? There, there's, no, there's no harm. There's nothing to fear. It's very possible there could be some lions. But it's also very possible um, that there are lions, but we don't need to be fearful of every single step of the way. So, so, so the man would say, walk with me courageously. We want to be on guard against any lions, but courageously moving forward, enjoying God's creation, knowing that if a lion comes to us, I can offer this protection. Well, this is exactly what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, 9. Walk circumspectly. Walk with caution. Why? Because the devil walks around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so, while we, not, we should not live in fear, we ought to walk with caution, being aware of these things. And as others may be consumed with caution, we can give them some great truths that can help them to overcome through the power of Christ and his words. So, Jesus knew this. He was very much aware of this. We see in his ministry, in his lifetime, having many different demonic encounters. But none to this extent. As we travel, we just cross the sea. We're going to look at the map real quick. And I don't know how much you're going to be able to see. They started up here in Capernaum. They get in this big storm. And they're going to land somewhere in this region of the Gerasee and Gadara is down here. But notice this whole area of Decapolis. We're going to come back to this. It's going to be very important but know this, a lot of Jewish realm, a lot of Jewish uh, people living in and around here, this is heavily, heavily, heavily Gentile nation, full of Roman rule and reign, which is why you would see 2,000 plus pig farmers in this region and not in this region. And what you're going to see here is people falsely worshiping God, but what you're going to see over here is people worshiping lots of false gods. Well, when you start to worship the false god, not the true most high god, here's what happens. You open the door for Satan's rule and reign to start infecting people. And rather than things getting better, things are actually going to be getting worse. And that's what's going on in this story. There's going to be um, 
if you were to look at the other Gospels, Luke and Matthew, you're going to see that Matthew and Luke would say that they, they, they land in the, uh, this region of Gadara. Is there a dis- discrepancy of where they land and where they're at? Well, think of it this way. Sometimes these things can hold up people. Let's say four of you were to write a story on the history of Gospel Grace Church. And you might say, in the beginning, we met in Fishers. Someone else writes, in the beginning, we met in the Indianapolis region. And one of you else writes, we, we, we started the church in central Indiana. And one of you says, we started the church in the Midwest. All of those are different answers, but they're all true. Right? So, so as you read the different gospel accounts, don't get, it seems like there's a discrepancy. The Bible is false. No, 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 no. They are describing something of the smaller towns, bigger regions, all these things. Just keep that in your mind for later, okay? So having said that, we've traveled, we know where we're at in the world, let's look where we're at in the text. And so the first thing I want us to see as we look at verses one through five is this. Jesus confronts the demonic man, the man that is full of these demon spirits, these evil spirits within him. And what we see in verses one and two is they just landed after the calming of the storm. Maybe they had to row a few more miles and they get after the calm shore, that they get to the, 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 the shoreline and they're ready to unload. But it looks like only Jesus unloads. It says as soon as Jesus gets out of the boat, uh, they're, they're met with an unlikely candidate. It's like this wild beast man that is running at them. When it talks about him later being clothed, that means at this point he's not clothed. Okay, this is just this wild beast man. He's, he's dirty, he's sweaty, he's bloody, he's living amongst the tombs. Just probably wild and crazy, like, whoa! Yelling, screaming, day and night, all of these things. And it says, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. The tombs in this region were like these cave-like settings, and you can even to this day, if you were to travel along this region, see this, this steep 40-foot embankment. And you can also, you travel a little bit further south and you can see these tombs that used to be. This is a real life story, a real life event that's happening. And this is going to be the dwelling place of this man. Verses three and four, apparently this man just lived in the tombs amongst the dead. This would have been disturbing and just tragic. Like who does that? But this would have been even more disturbing for the disciples. There's a reason why Jesus gets off the boat and goes onto the land, and it would appear that the disciples stay on the boat. Uh, they knew, according to Old Testament law, they were not to be around dead people, touch dead people, let alone hanging out with a person that's just living amongst dead people. So they're like, Jesus, you go. We're going to stay right up here on the boat. At any moment, you want to jump out, out, out back onto the boat, and we'll, we'll, we'll go back out to sea. Because we just came from a scary storm, but that guy's scarier. And... Uh, <laughs> You can stay and talk, Jesus, but we're going to stay right here. There's no indicators of the disciples out amongst in this story. And it says there, no one was able to restrain him. Oh, people had tried. They had chained him. They they had shackled him. They had done all of these things, but to no avail. Just like Samson just breaks these chains. You got nothing on me. A powerful man. A strong man, if you will. Bound, and no one could help this man. No one could bind this man, this strong man. I feel like Jesus is talking about the binding of a strong man maybe in chapter 3, a few weeks ago. 
and him binding the strong man, the man that no one else can bind, no one else can set this man free, no one, whoa. It says that he tore the chains apart and smashed the shackles. This madman was a menace to society. And people wanted him out, and he became an outcast. And so rather than being a part of the community, he was cast out. Instead of being among the, the living, he's cast out amongst the dead. He has no help. He has no hope. This is a, a horrible setting, a horrible way of life. It talks about him cutting and scraping himself with stones. Maybe it's just too, too my life is so bad. I want to end my life. Who knows exactly what he's thinking in these moments? But verse 5, I mean, there's no hope for him. There, there's nothing. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, always crying out and cutting himself. I mean, can you imagine for a moment? Imagine this man, night and day, living amongst the tombs. No clothes, just cutting himself, yelling and screaming. Everyone is scared and afraid of him. He's got this strong power, but no one wants to be near him. He's been cast out from his home, from his hometown, and he has nothing, nothing except dry, dead bones among him. It's a horrible setting. He's probably got bruises and cuts and infections and mutilations and all of these things. It's just a horrible scene. Very sad. The evil spirits within him have conquered and captured this man. And this ought not be a surprise. I mean, Jesus said this in John chapter 8, verse 44. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. Like, he loves to destroy. That's what he does. He goes on in John 10, 10. That says that he is like a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This man's life has been destroyed. And we're going to see the real intent of the spirits as they look to kill. As soon as they enter into these pigs... They did that, not Jesus. This man's life was just devastated. He's in a pit of deep, deep, deep despair. I mean, you can think of, of the life of Job, and that was pretty bad, and that was a whole story, but man, we just see here, this is like a whole new level of torment. But here's what we're going to see. Jesus is going to take this man from despair, and he's going to deliver him. What, this is a pretty dark setting. This doesn't seem so good. It doesn't seem like there's any hope. It doesn't seem like there's any help. Oh, help is on the way, my friends. Verses 6 through 13 speaks of Jesus who conquers the devastation or the destruction. You see, the man sees Jesus from a distance. He runs, he bows before him. There's a loud voice that says, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? He bows down prostrate. This is not the man bowing down in his own power. This is the evil spirit and actually many spirits living within him that bow down not to worship him, but as a sign to show respect, if you will, for his authority, knowing that he can cause their torment, which is why they would beg of him, do not torment me. They know who Jesus is and rightly identify him. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, he starts with this. He starts talking about Jesus, the Son of God. So far, no disciple has identified him as that, but we have seen and will continue to see that the evil spirits and at the end of the story, the Roman soldier that identifies Jesus as the authoritative Son of God. 
And we see that being said right here once again. And here's what we need to understand. As it says, Christ, the Son of God, of the Most High God, why would they say that? Why would they throw in the, the Most High God? Because they're amidst the midst of so many other false gods. Jesus, you are the authoritative one above and over all. Come to know this. They, they recognize this. And as Jesus knows this, he also knows his purpose for coming. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. That's the, that's the works, that's why he came. John 12, 31, the ruler of this world will be cast out. John 16, 20, the ruler will be judged. Jesus is coming to clean house. Your rule and your reign and your power is limited, not only in strength, but in days. And I'm going I'm to take care of this problem today, but ultimately, ultimately, I'm going to cast all of you into this fire, and ultimately you will reach torment. That's why I came. That full day of deliverance is not now, but I'm establishing my kingdom. My, my kingdom is starting to be unrolled, and you're seeing it right before your very eyes. And so yeah, as he's in this Gentile region, there's lots of witnesses to the many false gods and false religions around and Jesus is putting them all on notice. They're fakes, they're frauds, they're phonies. And they are nothing compared to me and my spoken word. It's interesting, the demons always confess Christ accurately and truthfully. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 24. But Jesus told the unclean spirits to come out, and the spirits begged, don't torment me. Why would they make this mention? Because ultimately they know their day of torment is coming. They know their days are numbered. They know it's going to go from bad to worse. And sooner or later that will come. And Jesus says to them in verse 9, What is your name? And he replies, I am called Legion, for we are many. A Roman legion within this region, which is why he would have mentioned legion, was typically between 5,600 to 6,000. So a legion is a very, very large amount of soldiers. So within this man is a very, very large amount of Satan's soldiers living and dwelling within him, which is why he has so much power, which is why, uh, as Jesus has encountered other evil spirits within people, none quite like this, and none quite after this. And it's... It's interesting, when he throws or, or casts them into pigs, if there was just a handful of spirits, only a handful of pigs would have gone into the, the swimming bath, right? But what do we see? It, it gives this number of 2,000 pigs that leave him and are cast there, and they go out. There, there's, there's nothing like this in Scripture anywhere. And yet, this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 12. Just listen to this. It's just, it's just a, a snapshot of the power of Jesus. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, ting, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He is, this doesn't take him any strength. Bing, you're gone. What no one else can do as he is strong man and bound, Jesus just, bing, by the finger of God. You and I need to realize this. 
not only for our life, but, but when we think of those who are outcasts, those who are too far gone. No, no, no. No one is too far gone from the power of God to change and transform one's life. If there's anyone in all of the Bible that might seem too far gone, it would be this man that has over 2,000 evil spirits within him. And Jesus says, think, no, you've gone. I'm going to change, I'm going to transform this man. Whoever you're thinking of that is too far gone, they do not compare to this man. That ought to give you great hope. That ought to give you great reason to continue to pray for them, continue to point them to Christ, continue to, to, to represent Christ well so that they would come to know and see and understand the power of Christ. And if you ever meet someone that says, I'm too far gone, I can't be forgiven, I've done too much, you don't know my story, then you ought to say, you don't know my God. You don't understand who my Jesus is. Let me tell you a story about, Mass, about Mark chapter 5 of this man who was way gone, outcast by all, thinking of no hope, and Jesus comes in and speaks a word and gives him life. Oh, there is something wonderful and marvelous taking place here. In verse 10, it says the evil spirit begged to stay in the region. Why would they want to stay in this region? Because it's a pretty wicked region. This is where all the, all, all the sinners and, and, and the sin is just celebrated. It's a wicked place. It's a place where they can find home and refuge among so many other gods. They want to they stay here. In the other gospel accounts, it actually speaks of two men coming. We don't know if it is maybe a guard against trying to prevent him from going into town. We don't know if it's the farmers. We don't know what it is. But, but they could have begged to go into some other man. But they, they begged to go into the, the swine. And here's what I see and understand about Jesus. Jesus much rather is concerned about the souls of people than the swines and some dirty pigs. Well, didn't he care about pigs? Uh-uh. Pigs are people. Pigs are people. He sees a man in torment in his care and his compassion. What is he going to do? I'm going to free this man. I'm going to release this man from this. And so in verses 11 through 13, we see that this story just goes from strange to scary. Or from scary to strange. Like, why 2,000 pigs? I mean, what is going on here? Well, as most of you probably know, pigs were known as disgusting and vile. The Jews would not eat them, would not touch them, would have nothing to do with them. But the Romans, man, they loved their bacon. Oh, they loved their pork chops. And who wouldn't? I mean, I, if, you, if you gave me the chance to live on the, the western, west side of the Sea of Galilee or the east side, I mean, sign me up for the bacon and pork chops, Right? And if my, bacon, if my bacon and pork chops suddenly just goes into the sea, oh, bye-bye bacon. Bye-bye pork chops. And if you're the, the one that's seeking to raise and fatten these pigs, and you just see all of them go to the sea, and you, you try telling the people later, no, that they were there, and then they just ran off into the sea, and they all drowned. I can imagine the, the centurions, the, the, the Romans may not be so happy. Like, what are we going to eat? Just continue to eat the wheat and grain? And so they got to verify this story. That they want others to know. And so when, when this all comes about, rather than rejoicing in this man's salvation and being set free, uh, we got to go get some eyewitnesses and, and 
let them in on what's going on. And so they rush into town. Before we talk further about that, I want us just to consider a few things. I I bullet pointed a few things in consideration of uh, these demons and evil spirits. So these aren't necessarily writing down points, but just just listen to them super quickly. The time of the ultimate uh, vanishing and demolishing of the demons had not come. So that's why he sends them from one to another. The triumph over the the uh, demons would would come in, in due time. Really, this just serves as a symbol of the triumph that is yet to come. Jesus allows the demons' destructive work, but not upon man. He sends them into the swine to indicate the real purpose of them. They want to continue to destroy, and as soon as they get an opportunity, they run into the sea and cause death. That's what they longed to do, and so it was the demons, not Jesus, who would destroy the pigs. And here's what we also come to understand. God, that is Jesus, cares more for the souls of man who are image bearers than the soul, soulless animals such as the pigs. But here's just a couple of theological truths concerning demons that I think is good for us. Because remember where I talked about the two ditches? Just, just talk this in the back of your mind. Demons are real. Evil spirits are real and can inhabit and take possession of a person. We see that in Scripture. Demons can make themselves known by speaking through people. We we see that here. We understand that demons are fallen angels and powerful spirit beings. We also see that demons can inflict serious injury. But we also see that demons can move from one host to another host. We can also see that demons can try to resist leaving. But we also realize that demons are subject to the authority of Christ in Christ's words. And at the, the, the word of Christ, they must remove residency and move on. But here's what we know. Demons cannot withstand the power of Christ, and demons cannot reside within a believer. So, while we can be influenced, if you are a born-again believer and the Holy Spirit of God lives and dwells within you, John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, Greater is he that dwells within you than he that is in the world. He's talking about the influence of satanic influences within the world, but greater is he, the Holy Spirit of God, the power of God that lives and dwells within you. Which means we don't have to live in fear knowing that Satan and his minions are a defeated foe as a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, you don't, allow, you don't have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling within your life, and you can be susceptible to those things. But that person can also be delivered from those things through the power of Christ and the good news of the gospel. Okay, having said all of those things, let's continue to move through our scripture here. And we're going we're gonna to continue to see that, that they move from despair to deliverance as he confronts this, uh, all this evil that's going on. So verses 14 through 20, we see Jesus commissions the delivered. This man in this moment would be changed. Clearly, it was a work of God and His grace. No religion, no works, no power of man. They had tried everything to no avail. Your friend, your family worker, your co-worker, or co-neighbor, neighbor, anyone, what they do not need is for you to try to twist and, and, and manipulate and change them. What they don't need is some sort of religion. What they don't need is some sort of works. 
What they need is the power of Jesus Christ and the deliverance of the gospel. And this is what he's wanting them to see. This is how this man would be made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about a new creation, a new creature in Christ. This man is conformed. This man is dramatically changed from what he was to what he is. Just as he stilled the storm and stopped and silenced the storm, Jesus here quickly stills, silences, and stops the stronghold of Satan within this man's life. That ought to be liberating and encouraging for you and for others who are caught up and entangled in the things of this world. We'll all rejoice, right? Well, not so fast. As we already talked about, verse 14, the pig farmers are like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. We got, we got to verify the story with others. And so they go, to, they, they go into town, they start telling everyone, and it's like a paparazzi frenzy. Because it says those, those in, in the town and the hillside, everyone is coming out. What? The crazy man, the, 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 the maniac man, he's in his right mind. And what? Pigs just like down the steep embankment and there's like 2,000 floating out in the water? Are you serious? Like what's going on here? It's true, it's true, come, come one, come all, come and see. And that's the scene that we see taking place. And what do they see? The scripture says there in verse 15 that he, he's sitting there, calm and clothed, just sitting there somberly, maybe staring at Jesus. And they've never seen him like this. So the only time they've seen him is running, screaming, scaring out of control, cutting himself with stones, all this stuff. And they see this. And they knew the power that this man had within them as he'd broken the chains. But you know what they're discovering now? Now they're in the midst of someone standing before them much more powerful. And they are afraid. Isn't this a parallel of what we just saw last week? After Jesus stills the storm, What is going on? They are afraid. We are in the presence of one much more powerful than I. And they are not sure what to do. And just as the evil spirits begged him not to torment them, it would appear that these people beg him to go. We don't want any trouble. We see the power here. They probably also knew uh, we're, we're pretty wicked. As soon as he finds out about that, maybe he might cast us out. Maybe we may be done for. And so they're just not sure what to do. And so it's like, hey, can you just get back on your boat with your buddies and set back sail to wherever you came from? Jesus has never been in this region. No one knows about Jesus. The only ones who know about Jesus, even though Jesus had never been to that region, is the evil spirits here. So he didn't even get a a foot onto dry land and is able to proclaim who he is and why he came before they're just like, no, just be gone. Just, just, we we beg you, please, please leave. We, we We don't want any, just thanks, but no thanks. I don't care what you're selling. We're not buying. Can you just move, move on, move along? And that's all we see is going on here. We see them begging in verses 16 and 17. And so here's what we're going to see in verses 18 and 19. Jesus isn't going to stay where he's not wanted. And so it says that he's getting back on the boat. Once again, it's not talking about him and the disciples getting back on the boat. They're, they're there like, okay, is it time to go? Because I'm, I'm ready. 
I'm, I'm, I just want to get back home. <laughs> let's, let's, let's leave this island of crazy people. And he gets back on the boat. And there's no indication of anything else going on. He's just like getting on the boat and they're going to leave. And Jesus, already to this point, he's conquered sickness and disease, a dangerous storm. Now this demonic spirit that is taking place and now he has just delivered a soul. Someone that was in the grips and grasp of Satan has now been set free. And here's where we're going to see a third beggar. As they're begging him to go, we see a third beggar on the scene. And he's actually begging to go with Jesus. This is the sign of a true believer. I want to follow you. I want to do and go and kind of just just be with you. Like you, you have just changed and transformed everything. Someone that has not been truly changed and transformed could have cared less. That, that, that was everyone else. They didn't want to go. They didn't want to follow. But this man does. He knows what has just taken place. He has just seen firsthand and experienced what no other one could do. Because Jesus is like no other. He had been rescued. And de- he desired to remain with Christ. But you know what's interesting? Jesus granted the request of the begs of the spirits to go into the pigs. Jesus heard the begs of the people from the town saying, we beg you to go, and he's getting ready to get on the boat. And then we see that Jesus actually doesn't grant the request of the third beggar who wants to go. This is strange. Why would he do that? Well, Sometimes God says no to what we want because God has another plan of what he wants. We need to be aware of that, okay? Because sometimes you think, oh, I'm, I'm going to go serve Jesus here, here, and here, and, and maybe God doesn't want you to go here and here and here. He wants you to stay right here. We need to be aware of this, right? And so we need to understand and see this. But think about this. He had just stepped on land, had this encounter in this huge region of Gentiles, They have left the the Jewish land and now have entered into a brand new mission field. If Jesus takes this man with him, how will they truly know? How will they truly see? You see, this man has a story like no other man in and around this region. And people knew this man's reputation, which is why everyone came into town to see for themselves. And when they saw that he was sitting there, they knew who he was and now who he is. This man had a story, and it's not the story of his awesome transformation, it's a story of the gospel of grace within his life, that God had showed mercy to him. And that's what's going on, that's what's taking place in this story. He had gone from helpless, hopeless, but then Christ changed everything. His life was devastated in despair, living amongst the dead, but Christ changed everything. He went from crazy and unclothed, but Christ changed everything. You see, that's what Christ does. Christ changes everything. Christ is the ultimate chain breaker of Satan's strongholds and sinful shackles. This man could do nothing. And Christ came and rescued him. The Gerasenes might have nothing to do with Jesus, wanted nothing to do with Jesus, but Jesus wanted them to know him. 
which is why he would lovingly in his care and compassion, although they rejected him and said, just get on the boat and leave. Oh, I'll leave. I'm going to leave you with someone. Someone who has been changed. Someone who's been transformed. And you ought to listen to him. Observe his life. He's got a story to tell. Verse 19 says, Go home. This is words of Jesus. Go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus wanted the Gentile regions to know of God's great mercy. He didn't just say go in peace. No, no, no. You go, but you proclaim who I am, what God has done, and the mercy God has shown. And know that this mercy just isn't for you, but it's for all. The disciples on the boat are starting to see this good news of Jesus just isn't for this pocket of Jews. It's actually much bigger than that. Such as the mustard seed that is small and the growing of the kingdom through the Jews and the Gentiles. Boom, it's starting, it's starting, it's starting. He's seeing this. And unlike so many other followers of Jesus that want to cry and complain and and bicker and refuse and argue with Jesus of when and where and how, Jesus, I want to do this. No, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do this. No, 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 no. What does this man do? Well, verse 20 says, so he went. Okay, you don't want me to get on the boat and go with you? I want to go, but if you don't want me to go, okay, that's fine. So he went and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Give me that map again. Give me that map. Oh! So this man meets Jesus here, and he starts going here, there, and everywhere around this region. Well, that, that, that must be the end of it. Well, we'll come back to that in just a moment. But here's what we understand. It ends with saying, all were amazed. Oh, sounds like Jesus did have a mission. Sounds like Jesus did have a purpose for this man. This man was taken from despair and was saw deliverance. A couple just closing um, considerations for us. The call to action, if you will. Four real quick points and then we'll wrap it up. Spiritual warfare is a reality within this world. Within this sinful, sin-cursed world, it's just a reality. So we walk with caution, walk on guard, knowing that, that sin and evil spirits can remain. And we, we ought not be surprised or we ought to be aware of that. Okay, so it's just a reality. But then number two is this. Confront evil in the power of Christ. Declare his name and his works. Courageously walk with Christ as your defender and deliverer. And point others to do the same. Number three is this. Know. That is K-N-O-W. Know. That no one is too far gone from the grips and grafts of Christ and the gospel to deliver someone. Don't lose hope in that. Continue to, to preach this to yourself and to proclaim it to others, which leads to our fourth point. Preach to yourself and proclaim the mercy of God. If you've experienced the transformation of the gospel, then you have a story of grace. A testimony of Christ that we must tell others about. You know, next month we're going to do this equip class, sharing, right? Sharing, proclaiming the gospel. But you don't need lots of in-depth training. You don't need four years of college to actually go and proclaim Christ. 
this man had a, a short encounter with Christ, and he goes on to just be telling anyone and everyone about this Jesus. What is stopping you? What is stopping me? And, and maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I haven't experienced this gospel. I haven't ex- experienced this transformation. I haven't come to know Christ. Well, you can today. There's nothing stopping you. Yield to him. Turn to him. A- a- ask him to be your Lord and Savior and say, Lord, by your grace, transform me and help me to be a true follower of you. And you know what? He will forgive you. His mercy, his grace is new every day. Oh, this is so good. And so the gospel changed this man and you too can be changed by the gospel. You might say, yeah, but you don't know my difficult past. No, that's true. You don't know my present pain. That's true. But Christ in you, you find purpose. He calls you to proclaim his grace and to press forward for his glory. You know, I already mentioned there's no more mention of this man anywhere. But in a few months, maybe less, as we fast forward to Mark chapter 7, here's what we see. So he left the island after this short encounter. Listen to Mark chapter 7, verses 31 and 32. Again, leaving the region of Tyra, he went by the way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of Decapolis, So remember the map, Decapolis? This is only his second time going through there. He he just got off the land, sent out this this missionary man to Decapolis. Listen to this. And they brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay hands on him. So where they once begged him to leave, as they hear of Jesus is coming back, Rather than begging him to go, they're begging for his power to be made known on someone else. This man had a difference. You want to be a difference maker? Don't do it in your own power, but say, God, by your grace and for your glory, allow me to live out and to preach this message, the gospel to myself, and to proclaim it to others. 